You are listening to the sermon podcast for Triumph Lutheran Brethren Church. Our vision is to see the life and message of Jesus transform hearts, homes, and cities. Wherever you are, our prayer is that God would meet you and that the life and message of Jesus would transform your life. To find more resources, go to triumphlbc.org. Well, good morning, everyone. I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that you are at your grandma's house. I also want you to imagine that you're five years old and that your grandma has decided to give you a snack. And so this snack that she's going to give you, it's kind of a kid's staple. It's graham crackers and grape juice. That sounds very simple, very tasty. Maybe you're like, I'm down with that right now. Now, the problem with being five years old in this scenario is that your coordination and your sense of judgment, they're not fully developed yet. And so you grab your snack from the kitchen counter and you decide, I want to have this snack outside. But you realize that in order to get to the outside, you have to make a beeline through the living room right over grandma's perfect bleach white rug. Some of you know where this is going, right? So your five-year-old foot catches the raised edge of the rug and life all of a sudden turns into slow motion. The graham crackers go flying everywhere and the grape juice... A sickening splash is what you hear as it lands on the white rug. And some of you are like, I can't even bear to look at that picture. It's like a a horror movie, right? You shudder. So the question becomes, what do you do? Well, if you're five, you probably feel like you want to run and hide somewhere. But in reality, what do you do? How do you get rid of the stain? What are your options? Now, some of you, you've had your fair share of stain removal days in your life, you've got some pretty cool tricks. You know how to do that, whether it's grass stains or coffee stains. You found a really good treatment plan. I I mean, on the internet, had all the answers, right? I was looking. There's some pretty interesting stain-removing powers that are out there, like baking soda and vinegar. Even toothpaste and table salt made the list. I'd need those explained to me a little bit. But I will say, in my very limited experience, there's nothing compared to the stain-removing power of OxyClean. Now, I promise, this is not an advertisement. I am not a paid rep for OxyClean. However, if they're listening, right? Now, I first learned about OxyClean when I became a parent. Uh, In my household, I am the primary laundry person. Please hold your applause, right? (laughs) Confession time. The real secret as to why I'm the laundry person is that it buys me some uninterrupted time to watch the game while I'm folding the clothes, okay? Now, I feel really bad. I ruined, the, I ruined the cover, blew the cover for everybody else in that category. It's like, dude, come on. Okay, well, here's a secret. She knows. Okay, it's no secret. But seriously, OxyClean is the best. I can't tell you how many times that I was doing a load of the kids' clothes, and there's like, who knows what they've got in there, spaghetti or markers or dirt, and just a splash of OxyClean, and poof, stain's gone, disappeared. Okay, this is starting to sound like an advertisement, so we'll move on. As we look into God's word this morning, we're going to be continuing in our series that we're calling Jesus the King. And while we're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the initial questions that we are faced as readers, that many of the characters in the story face, has to do with the identity of Jesus. Who is this? The people ask. Who is like this? I mean, who does the things that this guy does? Who says the things that Jesus says? Who is this? If you were with us last week, we took a look at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. We looked at his baptism and his temptation and his invitation. 
And we're reminded of the words of his invitation to us at the very end of our reading from last week, his invitation to repent, to turn away from sin and believe in the gospel of God, to believe in this incredible news that brings joy, news that our king has won the victory, news that this king has come to rescue you, and news that he has come to adopt you into God's family. That's news that brings joy. And so as we pick things up this week, we look a little more into the character and the power of this king because not only does he have the power and authority over sin and over evil and over temptation, he has authority even over things like illness and disease. And he even has authority to forgive sins. Jesus has this ability to see beneath the stains, to see underneath the circumstances in our lives, to see what truly is going on so that we can be made clean. If you have your Bibles or if you have your Mark books, uh, we're going to be looking into God's Word this morning. As you know, we've been uh, promoting these Mark books as a resource as we'll be going through this sermon series together. They are for sale at the welcome desk. They're $5. That's essentially just to cover the cost of them. And we're going to be using this throughout our time in the Gospel of Mark. And so I'm going to be on page 12, if you can turn there with me. And as you'll notice, obviously on the one side, there's plenty of time for, and space for notes and doodles and whatever, and so feel free to follow along as I read, and then also take notes later if you would like as well. Starting in Mark chapter 2, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Here's how it reads. And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, this is a pretty remarkable scene. Maybe you were picturing this in your mind as you were reading. Jesus had just returned to Capernaum. That's his early ministry home base. And by this point in time, Jesus is really starting to draw a crowd. We get a sense for this. The latter part of chapter one details how Jesus was going around performing miracles and healing people. He had healed a man with an unclean spirit. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had cleansed a leper. People were literally lining up to be healed. People from the surrounding towns were bringing people to Jesus for him to touch them and heal them. And even those who were being oppressed by demons were brought to him too. And in verse 28 of Mark 1, this is what we're told. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So where we started with Jesus last week is he's this obscure average guy from Nazareth, and now he's one of the most sought-after people in the entire region. His, faith was, his, his fame was widespread. 
People were literally flocking to see him. We picture this, the size of this crowd that we read about as, after he'd returned to Capernaum. We read, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. That's a full house. So why were they there? Why did Jesus have such a following? What would explain the size and the scope of this crowd that gathered in this home? Perhaps they were only interested in the miracles. Or maybe they valued Jesus because he healed people. Or maybe they were intrigued and curious about this new hometown celebrity because nothing really exciting ever happens around here in this small town, and so this is a big deal. Maybe they were drawn to his words, the message that he was sharing with them. While the motivations of those who came to see Jesus were many and included some of these, as we look at the end of verse 2, what do we see Jesus doing? And he was preaching the word to them. And it's in the middle of this sermon, it's in the midst of this packed house and this mosh pit crowd that this group of friends enter. Four friends carrying their buddy on a mat. And we're told that this man was a paralytic. He was unable to walk on his own. And so as they arrive, we can sense, we can, we can really feel their grim determination. We see them scanning the crowd, trying to determine if there's an entry point. But the crowd is too thick. Everybody's packed together like sardines, so much so that space and oxygen might have been in question. What they realized is that they weren't going to have this parting of the sea moment, and so they had to figure out another way to see Jesus, and they decide on the roof. And it's interesting because in those days, homes in Capernaum had these sloping roofs that were cons- consisted of reeds and branches and dried mud that were laid over the top of, of wooden beams. And so a staircase alongside of the house was usually the access point to the roof. Now you could maybe imagine being in the room as maybe a clump of dried mud hits the top of your head or glances off your shoulder and you kind of look up and you shield your eyes as more debris starts to fall down and the sun starts to peek through. You're like, what is going on? Now, I wouldn't say that I'm the handiest of persons when it comes to DIY house projects, but uh, one of the first things I did when we moved here is we put two ceiling fans in two of the bedrooms at home, and and I remember drilling through the sandplaster ceiling and having the dust kind of fall in my eyes, and as I punched through a hole in the ceiling, all the blown-in insulation fell out on my face like it was a malfunctioning gumball machine, just And I had this sneezing attack. It was just everywhere. We can imagine being in this room. We can imagine being the people who were locked in on Jesus' words, suddenly having to dodge falling branches and wondering, is the, is the roof going to cave in? We imagine being Jesus. He's preaching a sermon. And all of a sudden, he's just interrupted. That wasn't a part of the script, I dare say. Imagine being the homeowner. What's going on? How much time and money is this going to take? Who had the audacity to ruin my roof? There's no homeowner's insurance policy that's going to cover this. And after breaking through, the men lower their friend on this mat so he's right in front of Jesus. Everybody can figure out why he's there. Everybody can see what this man needs. And Jesus looks at the men on the rooftop and he looks at the man lying there and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you can also almost imagine the the head snaps or the wrinkled faces or the questioning glances are like, what? What'd you say, Jesus? Are you oblivious? Clearly, we know why this man is here. Isn't it obvious what he's looking for? 
Imagine you go to see your doctor and you've got a case of pink eye. Clearly the doctor can see why you're there. You show up and you're like, I'm ready. Imagine your doctor looking at you and saying, your sins are forgiven. You'd say, um, thanks, but that's not really why I'm here. <laughs> By the way, can you even do that? People were confused. The crowd, the man on the mat, his friends, the religious teachers that were in the room, and they even say as much. When Jesus tells this man that his sins are forgiven, it's like the red flags or the sirens are going off in their ears and their minds, and they're looking at each other. They're thinking to themselves, wait a second. Did he just say what I think he said? He can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? For this paralyzed man, I wonder what it was like for him to hear Jesus speak those words to him. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I think we need to hear Jesus correctly here. In those days, a physical handicap like this would have been understood by many people, many people in the room, as evidence that you had some sort of unresolved sin in your life. Like this was some consequence of some wrong that you did some, somewhere along the line, and you were kind of getting paid back for it. It's almost like if you had an illness or if life was really challenging or difficult for you, this was somehow like sin karma showing up at your door. But that's not what Jesus was alluding to. That's not what he was trying to say. Rather, Jesus is getting to the main issue that's in play for this man, and it's in the same issue that we're in too. That this world is broken by sin. That sin has made an absolute mess of our lives, and it has stained what God has created. Now, undoubtedly, if you were to ask this man what he's there for, if you were to ask what his deepest wish or his deepest desire was, the thing that he wanted more than anything else, it would probably be to walk again. We don't know how long he had been a paralytic. We don't know if he was born this way. We don't know if there was some freak accident that, that happened. But we do know that there had to be at least a glimmer of hope that Jesus could do something about this. Perhaps as this man is being carried to the house by his friends, he's thinking, well, if only I could walk again, then I'd be happy. Or if only I could use my legs again, then life would be better, then, then things would be great, then my problems would be solved, this, this huge obstacle, my, my biggest hurdle in life would be gone. And imagine the reaction when Jesus looked at him and told him that his sins were forgiven. No, Jesus, you don't understand. That, that's not why I'm here. Can't you see what the problem is? Can't you see what I truly need? But Jesus, as the Son of God, he has this ability to see things as they truly are. His vantage point is so much greater and so much deeper than what would appear on the outside. He sees things beneath the surface. When we think about seeing something that's below the surface in its greater extent, a picture that comes to my mind is that of an iceberg. When you see an iceberg from above the surface of the water, you're really only seeing about 10% of it. The other 90% is below the waterline. And in his statement, it's as if Jesus is saying to this paralytic man, he's like, you think that your biggest problem is that you can't walk. You assume that your biggest issue or the greatest obstacle in your life is that your legs don't work as they should. You think that by me simply healing you or removing this thing from your life that that's going to somehow fulfill you and make you happy. But that's not going to be the case. 
because you actually have a greater need than your physical handicap. You have a spiritual handicap, something that also is not working the way it's intended to. Your relationship with God is broken. Your life is stained by sin. You may think that your biggest problem is your physical limitations, and I'm telling you it's actually your sin. And it's at this point that you and I are kind of confronted with the same reality as this paralytic man. I mean, what is it that we need the most? Or what is it that is actually going to bring you or I inner peace and fulfillment? What is our greater issue beneath the surface? And for many of us, we're tempted to think kind of like this paralytic man, that if, that if only if we had this or could do that, then, then things would be great. If I could only have a successful career, if I could only be wealthy, then life would be good. And all you have to do is hear somebody who won the lottery tell you that, yeah, it's actually not all it's cracked up to be. For some of you, you might even be thinking, if only I could be healed from this illness or this condition, then my life would be perfect. But it won't be. What this paralytic man needed first and foremost, the thing that you and I truly need in our lives is the forgiveness that can only come from God. The forgiveness that sets us free. The forgiveness that removes guilt and shame. The forgiveness that cleans up our sin-stained lives. I don't know if you ever thought about the sin in your life like a stain. Maybe you have. Like your life and my life is somehow like that white rug at grandma's house with grape juice spilled all over it. But sin is like that in our lives. God's word tells us that sin isn't just all the wrong things we do or all the ways that we disobey God or hurt others. Sin can be as simple as disregarding God for who he is. Sin can also be doing good things for the wrong reasons or with misplaced motivation. Your life and my life are stained by sin. And it's a stain that doesn't come out very easily. I mean, we definitely try. I try. We try and get rid of the guilt for what we've done or said. We try to be free from that voice in, the, in our minds that's just accusing us that you're still guilty or that you aren't enough or that you're somehow this big failure. No one will accept you. And over time, the stain might fade a little bit. Look at some of the stains in your rugs at home. Sometimes you might even just kind of get used to them where you almost don't notice them. It's like they're not there. But they're still visible to visitors who come over. Like They're still visible to Jesus. And that's where Jesus meets this paralytic man and where Jesus meets us with his incredible grace. Because Jesus sees this man's physical need. He sees beneath the surface to this man's true need. And in his mercy and in his power, he actually delivers both healing to this man. We take our minds back to verses 8 through 12 after the religious leaders are silently wondering who Jesus thinks he is or what gives him the right to talk to this man. We read, and immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit, essentially reading their minds, that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this.
So who is this? He's the king who heals. He's the king who has authority over physical ailments and handicaps and illnesses and diseases, but he's also the king who forgives. And this man walks out of that room fully healed, both physically and spiritually. It's kind of interesting to think of that phrase again that we remember Jesus saying to this man, your sins are forgiven. We wonder, well, how is Jesus able to forgive this man? Yes, the scribes are right. God alone is able to forgive sins. Yes, Jesus is God. But essentially the point that Jesus is making, what he's actually telling this man and what he's telling us today is this. He says, I have the power and authority to forgive sin because every sin is actually a sin against me. And so I alone have the authority to forgive it. I think of an example in my own life. I've got three kiddos, and like most siblings, they can be the best of friends and also the worst of enemies. But a scenario that I imagine but isn't so unimaginable is what would, ha- what would happen if my youngest son, Micah, was bugging his older sister and she got to the point of no return and she hits him in the shoulder. That would never happen. Right? Now, it would be odd for my oldest son, Luke, to look at his sister and go, Madison, I forgive you. That wouldn't make any sense. It wasn't him that she had wronged. And in the same way, Jesus is communicating that a sin against anyone else, a sin against what God says is right and just and good, is actually a sin against him. And if we know anything about forgiveness, we know that forgiveness is something that maybe isn't always easy to ask for. It's often more challenging to give. Forgiveness is messy. True forgiveness is costly. It's costly to the person that gives it. And so Jesus could truly and honestly forgive this man because the cost of forgiveness would come later. And it would come with his death. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5 the extent that this goes. He writes, but God demonstrates his own love for us, his own compassion and mercy for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this isn't just the reality for the paralytic man, it's our reality too. Jesus can honestly look at you and he can look at me and he can say with ultimate sincerity and certainty, your sins are forgiven. The stain of all the things that you've done or thought or said, all of the wrong things that you thought, done or said, all of it has been transferred to me. And in exchange, you're forgiven. Because that's the reality of removing a stain. We end with this visit back to Grandma's living room. Here's how removing this stain might look or go down. Grandma walks in and she sees the mess. It's pretty hard to miss. Grandma quietly goes to the closet. She grabs a spray bottle and a rag, a couple squirts of the bottle, and she's soon dabbing at the stain on the floor. And in a matter of a few swipes, The rug's looking a lot better. In fact, the rug's looking pretty spotless. But the rag, on the other hand, looks quite messy. The stain didn't just disappear. It was transferred to the rag. And in the same way, God has transferred the stain of sin in your life and in mine to his son. And we are left spotless and clean through his forgiveness Jesus takes our stain and now we're healed and we're restored and we're clean. In his words to the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says, Come now, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Do you need to experience the forgiveness of Jesus in your life this morning? It's a forgiveness that meets you in your brokenness. It's a forgiveness that can remove any stain. And it's a forgiveness that works way better and is way more impressive than OxyClean. You've never seen anything like it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your grace to us this morning, how it meets us in our need, our true need. We're thankful for your willingness to see what's going on below the surface of our lives, how you care, how you take us deeper into who you are as our healer and our restorer. So Lord, we recognize your power and authority over things that we cannot control, sometimes things we cannot see. We're thankful most of all for your forgiveness that you offer to us at great cost to yourself. Lord, may you remind us of your love and kindness to us as we live in the freedom that you have bought for us. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Doug. I just want to take a minute and to say thank you for downloading or streaming this content today. We at Triumph pray that it will transform your heart and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. I have three quick thoughts that I just want to share with you, and it'll, it'll only take a minute. First, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd be willing, visit our website at triumphlbc.org connect and let us know how we can reach out to you. Or, or you can visit triumphlbc.org events to find an activity that you could jump into. Second, we hope that you see this content as supplementary in your walk with Jesus. Our, our digital content isn't really designed to be a replacement for belonging and engaging with a gospel community, whether that's here at Triumph or another church. And third, we invest a lot into producing this content, and it's used to bless people like you and others all over our community. If this or really any of our other resources that you find online have been a blessing to you, would you consider giving? It's because of your generosity that we're able to continue creating and serving online. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless you.